Hello and welcome to another episode of the Diet Obsessed Podcast. I am your host, Veronica Santarelli, and this is a podcast for those of us who are just obsessed with all things diet, culture, fitness, wellness trends, food, how celebrities get results. I also review other podcasts on these topics. On this show, I like to discuss details and the reality of trying to find balance in a world full of extremes. All right, let's get into the show. Now, if you want to support the show, there's a couple ways you can do that. Uh, So this is one of my free episodes. I do two free episodes a month. I also do two free, and I'm sorry, two premium content shows, which is called Craving More. And you can subscribe through Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe through Patreon. I even have a VIP level and a couple extra tiers on Patreon where I get into the extra juicy, extra controversial aspects of my life and some some controversial topics. Uh, So you can also simply leave a rating and review for this podcast. Uh, If you don't want to spend any money, uh, that's a good way to support the show. It does mean everything to us podcasters. So that just means leave some stars, leave a comment, good or bad. It's much appreciated. So those are a couple ways you can support the show. Now, I did want to talk to you first about our sponsor. And our sponsor is a trusted nutrition program focused on healthy aging and longevity. It's called Prolon for promoting longevity, and it helps maintain health, energy, clarity, weight, and performance while supporting healthy aging and rejuvenation of the cells. As you all know, I'm all about slowing down the aging process and increasing longevity, and that starts with what you're consuming on a regular basis. Their main product is the Prolon 5-Day Nutrition Program that feeds the body with clean premium ingredients while providing the rejuvenation benefits of fasting. We'll be getting into some other benefits of fasting as I get into this interview I'm going to be doing in a few minutes with a a doctor who very much believes in this practice. Um, But the Prolon system allows you to eat for five days and your metabolism and cells think you're fasting. It's the number one doctor-recommended fasting nutrition program based on over 20 years of research, and it was developed at the Longevity Institute of the University of Southern California. In human studies, Prolon showed to reduce biological age as well as risk factors for health conditions. It's a great body and spiritual reset that combines plant-based nutrition with spirituality and rejuvenation. Fasting is common in all divine religions and major meditation schools, and now science has uncovered Uh, that there are major benefits of this practice. You can check out uh, Prolon's nutrition products and program. They have many different products to offer, um, but they do recommend doing the five-day program at least three times a year. So you can go to prolonlife.com and use code VERONICA20 for 20% off your checkout order. And I'll have that link and the coupon code in my link uh, in my bio through Instagram. You can go to the Diet Obsessed podcast on Instagram, go to my bio, click the link. And again, make sure you use code Veronica20 at checkout for 20% off your order. Enjoy. All right, let's get into the show. So today I have a very special guest, and I don't normally do interviews on this podcast, so you know it's going to be a good one. So today I have Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, who is a naturopathic medical doctor here in Arizona, and he is the founder of the Fit Father Project and the Fit Mother Project. He's also host of both podcasts named for those projects. Dr. Balduzzi is a renowned health expert dedicated to helping men and women over 40 optimize their health with the overreaching goal of building and maintaining both a fit body and a fit mind for longevity. Dr. Balduzzi is here to start talking about how, or is here to talk about how our bodies and minds evolve and the challenges we face in both fitness and health over 40 the outward ripple effect our personal health has on those around us, and the power of nutrition, sleep, and exercise in turning our lives around. Uh, With an aging population and increasing awareness of the importance of holistic health, Dr. Balduzzi's evidence-based and proven methodology offers practical practical and sustainable tools for self-optimization. 
Uh, I'm really excited to have him here today. And he is very excited to share some of what he's working on with our listeners. So Dr. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to be here. Yeah. And you're here in Arizona with me. Isn't that right? Which is so cool, like uh, to make that connection, which is, uh, you know, funny and hilarious. We're on these internet Zoom calls recording things, but we're probably only a number of miles away. So go Arizona. Um, it's a healthy and happy place to live. I'm, I'm grateful we're both here. Definitely. I've, I've, I have found that we were just sharing earlier when we were chatting before the episode started that we're both from the East coast and I travel back there often. And I, when it's doomy, when it's doom and gloom outside, it's, you know, I like to be in the sunshine here. So me too. Um, well, great. So I had read about a little bit about your background on your website and I was really excited to have you on because I feel like we share some similarities. So can you tell, uh, our listeners what inspired you to start the fit father project and how it's evolved over the years? For sure. And as you can imagine, um, growing up as a kid, I didn't think I would be running over 40 health and fitness programs. I mean, I was a, I grew up in Syracuse, New York. I was into sports, playing outside of my brother, doing as best as I could in school. What was unique about my childhood, though, is I watched my dad's health deteriorate pretty much my whole life. Um, he got a cancer diagnosis when he was in his late 30s, uh, and he ended up dying when he was 42 years old. Wow. So I watched the man that I love most in life basically wither away, um, and he went through a whole bunch of conventional cancer treatment. And I was nine when he died, and, and it was devastating. It, it broke my heart, um, but it also taught me a lot of lessons. It taught me one that I don't think many of us learn until far later in life, and that's the lesson that health is truly the foundation of our lives and, and what we love, because many people spend the first half of their lives truly trading their health for wealth and providing for their family, and then they get to this midpoint where they realize the path they're on is not sustainable, and they have to go trade their wealth and their time and all these things back to regain their health. And so it flipped a switch in my brain from a young age. And I realized that I needed to personally become strong to now be the man of the house to help my mom and my little brother. Um, and I just realized too, when I was so sad and heartbroken, that exercise was the one thing that helped me feel better. And bless my mom, she gave me the gift of giving me a pair of my dad's old dumbbells. And when I was 10, I started to train. I'd hide them under my bed. I'd pull them out at night and do my little exercises. And it really just transformed my mindset when I realized that I could exert my my pain and my will to create positive change. I could almost like transmute that energy. Um, and I guess you could say like the bug bit me. From the time I was 10, I stopped eating birthday cake. I started eating healthy foods. I obsessed over learning about nutrition. And that that propelled through decades of, of career, first in fitness as a personal trainer, as a competitive bodybuilder in university studying neuroscience and psychology and nutrition, and then eventually naturopathic medical school. And where this all really solidified up is, is this, this experience of seeing my dad struggle. And then obviously the massive impact on my mom, being a single mom, raising two young boys, trying to be both a you know provider and a nurturer and all of these things all in one. I saw who was impacting her. And then I was in medical school. I saw so many people like my parents, not the same stories, not always cancer, but couldn't find a way to make health sustainable. Health was always kind of on the back burner. And then I also saw the number of influences today that make it so easy for people to be unhealthy. And I'm like, I got to find a way to help busy parents, particularly over 40, who have all the pressures of family and the aging body, have a plan that works. So I've dedicated my life to doing that. And I've been running Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Projects for over 10 years now. And we've had over 60,000 families in over 100 countries go through our programs and experience life-changing transformation. Um, and so I'm here and I'm so grateful to connect with you and every person who wants to hear this message that you can be very, very, very fit and healthy after 40. Um, and you can completely turn things around. You do need the right strategies on these foundational things like nutrition, sleep, exercise, and mindset. Absolutely. Wow. Lots of good information in there. I, I have noticed, especially when kids see their parents suffering at an early age, or if you've seen what happens at end of life, it does give you a perspective of really wanting to take good care of yourself. Yeah. Um, for those that know me, I'm really kind of into details. So do you mind if I ask you a couple questions about some? Yeah. Let's do some um, details. Do you mind if I ask what kind of cancer your dad had? Yeah, he had a brain tumor. He had a, it was a glioblastoma he had when he was in his late thirties. We took a family trip to Disney World and when we got back, he fell out of bed and had a had a grand mal seizure. And this wow. is where he ended up getting diagnosed. 
Um, and then, you know, I saw him go through conventional cancer treatment, like two brain surgeries that left him paralyzed on half of his body, chemo, radiation. And I was at this time kind of exposed to this whole both conventional medical world and alternative, because after my dad was kind of damaged and paralyzed from his brain surgeries, like, you know, he lost control of half of his body. I mean, totally changes your whole life. But he did do things like some herbal therapy and some acupuncture, which legitimately led to improvements in his uh, neuromuscular and motor control. So there were seeds planted in my, in my early mind that, wow, there's a lot of options out here and there's many ways to help people. Wow. Yeah. So it's interesting because, I mean, they, they really probably don't know what caused his brain tumor, obviously. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to say, right. I mean, there are obviously genetic predispositions with certain cancers. I mean, there are a lot of environmental toxins that can, can be the case, but I'll tell you this for sure. What we know about the physiology of a stress state, that's not getting the right kinds of nutritional and exercise inputs. I mean, there's many things my dad, you know, could have done or, or potentially could have done that maybe could have prevented that, or at least created a more robust system that wouldn't have been triggered by the particular cause, whatever it was. Right. And it sounds like you did correlate nutrition very early to overall health as you, For as sure. you age. and so how were you kind of, how were you raised in terms of nutrition? I mean, it sounds like you kind of took it upon yourself to stop eating yeah. processed foods, but like, were you raised tradition? Like were you raised with any processed foods? Were you raised to eat vegetables and well-balanced? I think we were raised like fairly basically, um, a nutrition, like uh, my parents came from like, middle American income, you know, I'd say my mom maybe even had a tougher upbringing. They were both in from Syracuse, New York, my mom and my dad. Um, and I mean, she grew up like <laughs> eating hot dogs and bologna sandwiches and stuff like that. But as, as we were, our family was forming and I was very young, they were doing their best to feed us. It wasn't definitely like a junk food kind of environment. Um, but you know, I remember before I got serious about taking nutrition into my own hands, we're just eating basic stuff. I'd say like good it wasn't a health focused culture, but we also weren't eating terrible foods, but I did make the switch very young. I mean, this was like around the fourth or fifth grade when I started to like want to pack my own lunch and understand why vegetables were healthier or focus on proteins. And my understanding of nutrition has advanced massively since that time, but at least I had intention to try to control my food inputs and eat healthier food and get rid of sugar, you know, which I realized was not good from a very young age. Yeah. Well, because it, you see, I mean, it seems like, cause I used to be in the weight loss industry back in the mm -hmm. day and I would see people that had a lot of weight to lose that really, some people really struggled to even eat vegetables or drink water. And it really depended on how they were, how they were raised. Like, were you yeah. fed vegetables and water when you were a kid? If yeah. not, you hate it. And it's like torture to get it down. Yeah. But if you did have some you know, nutritional foods in your, you know, when you were growing up, it's not as torturous. It's just deciding to choose those healthier foods. I right? definitely did. I would fall in the latter category. I had those in my life. Okay. Yeah. Um, so can you share some success stories of men and women who have transformed their lives through your methodology? For sure. I mean, like, like I said, we've had tens of thousands of people. So I'll highlight a few. Um, there is a person who now works for us. His name is Craig Taylor. Um, and Craig was the kind of guy he's in his fifties. Um, he was a pastor in Indiana before he ended up coming and working with our team. He's, he's the kind of guy that never had a handle on his weight. I mean, overweight in middle school. And I think as Craig says, before he found our program, like the last mile that he ran was in middle school PE and he didn't run since cause he never felt comfortable in his own body. Um, and although he was successful in many areas of his life, his health was a place where he was able to like, kind of like eat his feelings and just use food as a way to kind of comfort himself throughout his life. And then gets very trapped in the limiting belief of, you know, uh, I, I, I'm just a heavy set guy, or I can never achieve this kind of look and, you know, would, would watch a lot of professional sports because he admired the way that people who are athletic could do, but never saw himself in that way. And the reason I like to bring Craig's story up is because, it's really representative of the fact that you can develop a very limiting mindset over a long period of time, in his case, four or five decades. So he finds Fit Father Project and he starts working the program. Um, and in 12 months, Craig loses 120 pounds and now starts running like half marathons and stuff like this. And that's the start of his story. I mean, it's an amazing weight loss transformation. He starts to regain his self-confidence. And what I love sharing about Craig's story is obviously the physical weight loss is a part of it. But as you're doing that physical transformation, he's also changing his mindset in a substantial way. And to, to rip out the roots of that old thinking and those old patterns does not happen overnight. It certainly doesn't even happen in one year. 
So Red Craig got a lot of success, but then his knees started to hurt him, you know, because of carrying that weight and some osteoarthritis stuff. And he ends up regaining a good part of that weight back, maybe about 75% of the weight. And so now Craig is in a unique position of feeling like he has done something and he, and now he has to go back in and he recommits and he loses the weight one more time in another heroic lap of getting back in track and now is even more solidified and, and now helping people in our community as one of our key team members. I, I think of another woman, Diane O'Brien, who, who's in her early 60s. She lives in Northern California. Uh, she runs a flower shop um, and she went to her doctor's office and and like, you know, overweight, obese, you know, I think probably Diane was five foot six, getting close to 200 pounds. Um, and was getting the, the diagnosis basically that you are an overweight older lady who has hormonal issues, pre-diabetes, you're now taking more prescription medications. Um, and, and it could be super defeating at that point when you realize like, man, am I even going to be able to turn this around? Um, and Diane recognized and, and started to have the awareness that she needed to completely change her lifestyle and that there was a couple things she was doing that were like these linchpin actions that would cause a cascade of bad effects. So after Diane would get off work at her flower shop, she would go down the street and there was a little winery in Northern California that when she'd, they, she'd they, they'd have her glass of wine ready for Diane like every day, Monday through Friday. And as you can imagine, if you're in that kind of habit of drinking, then the cascade of food that happens after the fact, it was like this, just this trigger that was keeping her stuck. And, you know, she wasn't sleeping well because she was drinking, wasn't eating well. Her metabolism was super jacked up. And, and then because she was using external things like alcohol to kind of cope and balance her mood, she wasn't giving herself the opportunity to do things like exercise or good circadian rhythm to, to create that neurochemistry in a healthier way. So what's cool is I think every person who either has good habits or bad habits, in Diane's case, this was a bad habit, there is a couple linchpin things that once identified and switched or unworked or reworked causes a cascade of domino effects that are massively positive. So Diane recognized that the drinking was, was the problem. She needed to have a new inserted routine there. We helped her establish that. She lost all the weight and got off all her prescription medications. And now she loves fitness so much. She's like the 60 year old, you know, posting the flexing photos in the gym. And she just like loves how good she looks. And, and her husband got so inspired that he went on to lose 60 pounds as well with fit father. So I love it. I love these stories because it's never too late mm -hmm. because, because you can make amazing changes. These bodies are so adaptable and because inherently our health is not any different. Like it's not a different thing than our mindset, than our ability to, to go through stress. It's like this whole integrated experience. So that's why health transformations are personal development transformations. You have to come face to face with how you're managing your emotions and your habits and your daily rhythms. And that's why it's so transformative. Yeah, absolutely. So do you give people specific nutrition plans and fitness plans through this program? So it's like a little bit of a hybrid mix. Um, you know, we, we create, we have a, like a meal plan and workouts that have phases to them. So it's not like every person is getting a custom nutrition plan, but the way we designed it after 10 years of working is really, really cool where we walk people through a nutrition process where we help people establish exactly what's going to work best for them. And what we do is we first set up the meal timing schedule setup that's going to work best for somebody. So one person may like breakfast, lunch, snack, and dinner. Another person may prefer to intermittent fast. And then you know, we create the framework for what's going to work well with the least amount of friction for their family life and their schedule. And then we help them establish what their go-to meals are for at least the first couple meals of the day. I am a huge believer from all of this work I've done in this space of nutrition that the reason people fail at nutrition isn't strictly like a lack of information. We all know what healthier foods are. It's more like behavioral psychology and creating habits and momentum. And so I'm a big believer in standardizing the first few meals of the day, at least breakfast, you know, to get something that's like a go-to healthy breakfast that's super nourishing that you don't need to think too much about. And in fact, I think that the most successful people who are good with nutrition, they typically have like go-to meals like earlier in the day to get things going. So we help our clients establish go-to meals and we help customize those for them. So someone might do egg-based recipe with some fruits. Someone who's plant-based may do some higher protein overnight oats kind of scenario. Some people might do a protein smoothie um, or something like that. Um, and then we kind of work through the rest of the day and help them establish go-to options. So it's, I'd say semi-custom would be the the short answer. But again, like we have a process that people follow to discover what that is. Yeah, no, that's great. Do you find that women have a harder time with fasting than men? 100%. And, and I think there's like, there's biological and hormonal aspects for that. 
Um, I still think that intermittent fasting is a valuable tool for most people to explore and test and lean into, but it doesn't have to look like a certain way for every person. I would say like my, my thoughts on this are it's, it's better in my understanding of circadian biology for most people not to eat too late. And mm. I think we're getting a lot of data now with people going through like wearing more aura rings or these different kind of wearables and trackables that when we eat too late, it really does cause a negative impact on our sleep scores. Um, it can create too much heat in the body, which makes it hard to sleep. It, it's, it's almost like a little problematic. So I think there's a benefit to people um, being aware of their hunger signals and compressing their eating window a little bit um, and trying not to eat too late at night. Because even the blood sugar dysregulation at night makes it very hard for the body to get into that really relaxed state. And that's different, I'd say, from even some of the fitness advice I would have given like 10 years ago, where I was like, you know, oh, wait, late night eating is not a problem. It doesn't, it, it, it won't cause you to gain fat. And that all may be true. It's not like the calories are necessarily going to, you know, cause you to gain fat because you ate them after 8 p.m., but it is going to impact your sleep kind of negatively. And I guess I bring that up to say that regardless of you intermittent fast for 16 hours a day, compressing your eating window a little bit, particularly on the evening side, tends to be beneficial for most people. And then if you have breakfast, great. If you want to shift it back a little bit, great. I think that's totally fine. We are advocates of people doing dinner-to-dinner 24-hour dinner, uh, fasts um, at least once a week. We introduced that in a couple phases of our program because I think if you look at some of the research on fasting, particularly from the longevity um, standpoint of like cellular regeneration, increasing growth, growth hormone, getting autophagy to kick in so the cells are actually like breaking down denatured damaged proteins and like regenerating, that stuff really doesn't kick in at like the 16-hour intermittent fasting mark. It, it, these are deeper processes that typically 24, 48, 72-hour fasting does deeper. So we're a fan of giving people a pulse of that intermittent fast in a deeper way once a week. It's not always easy, but it's beneficial. So for a woman listening to this, you might not need to intermittent fast every day, but doing some periodic breaks from food and getting into a deeper fasted state and that catabolic metabolism is very healthy. Yes, absolutely. I've been, I've been doing some fasting and I'm getting my boyfriend to do this five day fast with me. Nice. Um, the prolon one. Yeah. Yeah. They're a sponsor mm -hmm. of our show and we, nice. so he's a cancer survivor. He yeah. stage four cancer. So wow. I'm and he does not have the best nutrition. So when we're working on him, but, um, so, so how, how do the health optimization needs of men and women differ after they turn 40? Okay. I'll make a, I'll make a kind of controversial statement. I think that strength training is more important and probably the most important for women over 40. Like, Yes, guys have changing hormones. We have a decrease in testosterone that's kind of slow and gradual. Um, I think what we know from like the longevity research now is that maintaining muscle mass as best you can into old age is essential for health, for hormone production, for well-being. Muscle is like the basis of your metabolic rate. Uh, our muscles, when well-trained, kind of become these sponges for carbohydrates. So we actually get better nutrient partitioning. Like if we gave two people, two women over 50, the same diet, but same exact food, but one of them strength trains and one of them doesn't, the woman who strength trains has muscles that are constantly hungry to suck, soak up glucose and amino acids. She's going to have better glucose control. Um, the calories that she does eat is going to be partitioned more favorably into the lean muscle tissue. Um, and especially when we're getting into the, the perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause, Women need to do everything they can to optimize their hormones, optimize their muscle mass, especially as you're losing some of the protection of the estrogen, which is very helpful um, for bone health in, in, in addition. And you want to be maintaining strong bones, which requires resistance training. Now, yeah. it, basically, I'm trying women need to strength train to have optimal health, particularly over 40, especially after 50. Um, men do too. Um, I would say due to the cyclical nature of women's bodies and hormones, like it's a little more complex where like you could get really deep into a program that actually cycles certain nutrients or fats based on where a woman is in the cycle, like the concept of seed cycling and having certain fats that's going to favor progesterone at parts of the cycle or estrogen at parts of the cycle. And that can be beneficial. And I think that's a little more on like the optimization side of things. Um, and yeah, I, I guess I would also say is like the expectations that women and men have going into the weight loss journey are pretty important because I've seen so many weight loss journeys 
a lot of guys lose weight at a very fast clip when they start a diet or workout plan. And it could be very frustrating for their wives or partners to, to witness that. And women tend to release weight at a little more of a gradual pace. Um, but again, if you're building gradual weight loss in a way that's actually sustainable, that's working with your body and you're building muscle in the process, like that is the Holy grail of like long-term sustainability anyways. Sure. What do you, what do you suggest for women protein wise over 40? Do you, do you believe in over a hundred grams of protein, for example? I think that's a good target. If you made me like actually give you a number, um, in terms of like some of the, some of the th stuff, I would say 0 0.8 grams to one gram per pound of lean body weight. Mm -hmm. So let's say we do have a 150 pound woman, uh, but she probably has 25 to 35, 35% 35 body fat. So maybe her lean tissue is around, you know, I don't know, let's just say a hundred, a hundred, uh, 90 to a hundred gram, uh, pounds of lean tissue. It would be around a hundred grams. So yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a good idea. I think the higher protein intakes are going to be beneficial for muscle sparing. I, I think you want to be eating high quality proteins for the amino acids as we get into old age, especially if you're strength training, you get benefits of that. And obviously from a diet adherence standpoint, protein is very satiating. It's, it can be very nourishing if you're choosing proteins that are accompanied by a lot of the, the deep vitamins that come from, let's just say something like wild salmon, well-raised eggs with the egg yolks, even plant-based sources like beans and stuff like this, you know, they can be good options. But yes, I would say our diet program setups are higher protein. And what it might look like if someone's having, let's just say three meals a day, a breakfast, lunch, dinner, and maybe a snack, let's say that is the setup. Uh, the breakfast would probably have around 30 to four, 30 to 40 grams of protein. That's pretty easy to do if you are making a shake or a smoothie. And let's just say you have a scoop of protein powder with 20 grams. You throw in some hemp seeds, some chia seeds, a little bit of almond milk, maybe some greens. Like you can nickel your way up to 35 to 40 grams of protein. Egg-based recipe. So let's say there's two or three eggs in something like that. I mean, that's going to be around over 20 grams of protein and maybe of a side of, again, some greens or some beans or some fruits. So I think a breakfast target is around 30 grams, tends to work well, 30 to 40 grams works well for most people. And at dinner, if you're having the classic dinner where there's a protein forward serving with a side of some greens or some carbs or some healthy fats, you know, a six ounce serving of most protein is going to have, let's just say 35 to 40 grams of protein. Um, so just there between breakfast and dinner, you're already sitting at like 70 grams fill in throughout the day with some snacks or whatever you have in the middle of the day. It could even be the salad with some, some topping and stuff. You're going to get close to that, but yeah, I'd say it's a hard and fast rule around there is good target for most women. Yeah. I've been trying to get more in. I, I, one day I tried to get 130 grams of animal protein in. It was a huge struggle for me because I do I like plant-based protein too. Yeah, too. Um, yeah. Do you have an opinion of um, what's better, animal or animal protein or plant protein? Yeah, for sure. Well, okay. So I think when we're looking at the protein discussion, um, we're looking at a couple things. We're looking at the bioavailability of proteins. So we can look at it from that lens. Animal sources are going to have higher bioavailability, meaning even though something has X number of grams of protein, what the body can absorb and assimilate and really use um, is better in a lot of animal sources. So things like beef, things like eggs have higher bioavailability than some plant-based proteins. That said, there are a lot of high quality plant-based proteins like hemp, hemp seeds, very good pea protein as high bioavailability. Um, and that, and just because a plant protein doesn't have the perfect on paper scientific high bioavailability doesn't mean things like legumes, which are high in protein, high in fiber, aren't fantastic because protein doesn't come in isolation. It comes with a concert of other nutrients, like the fiber that we get from from certain plant-based foods is amazing for our cholesterol. The prebiotic fiber that's good for our gut bacteria helps our whole bodies work a lot better. Um, so I do not ascribe to the completely animal-based, only animal-based protein kind of diets. And I would say for those that are eating a lot of animal-based products, it is very important to get the highest quality stuff that you can, because as you eat higher up the food chain, like what the animal you're eating ate matters more. So you eat some some tuna, for example, that is chock full of mercury. Yeah, sure, it may be high in protein, but you don't want methylmercury in your body per se. Or a corn-fed cow that has higher amounts of the omega-6 inflammatory fats versus something that's grass-fed pasture-raised that has more CLA, omega-3s, probably richer in some vitamins. Like That's an important consideration. Me personally, um, I do a mix. 
So I do, I, I am sensitive to dairy proteins. Like I know that I have a mild allergy to them. When I have too much dairy, I get a stuffy nose, some signs of inflammation in my body. So I like to get some plant-based proteins um, in the morning in the form of like smoothies. I eat a lot of like uh, hemp seeds. I eat a lot of beans with some of my meals. I, you know, things like this, but I, I will get an animal serving of protein um, pretty much at dinner. And I, I believe that eggs, beef, uh, cold water, fatty fish, rich in the omega threes are wonderful turkey and chicken. Um, and quite frankly, getting some, some of the fattier cuts of meats that also have more vitamins is good too. Like the chicken breast is like basically pure protein, but in terms of nutrition, it kind of pales in comparison to, let's say you got a little wild and had like something like liver also has protein, but has a ton of fat soluble vitamins. Yeah. Liver is, yeah. I've, I've, I've researched a lot about the awful and you know, how yeah. good for you nutrient dense the organs are. I haven't gotten there myself. Do you eat organs? <laughs> I do. Um, I have a, here's, here's one, a couple ways I sneak it in and I have a, I have a young daughter and she even eats them without really even knowing you can, if you, if your family's used to doing some kind of like taco meat or like beef that's ground or turkey that's ground, they offer, there's a lot of companies, um, that offer products that have some ground heart and liver and uh, kidneys, sometimes organs into the ground beef. Um, and it might only be like maybe 30 or 40% of it is organs, but they taste pretty comparable, especially if you throw some kind of taco seasoning on there. So the ground meats can, you can get the organ meats in liver worst is something that some people enjoy. But again, what is the point of giving these organ meats? It's strictly that they're giving you pretty much more of the minerals and more of the fat soluble vitamins, like vitamin A, D, E, K, uh, copper is often high in some of these organ meats and a lot of these good micronutrients. If you're finding ways to meet your micronutrient targets, it's not that you necessarily need to add these things. Mm -hmm. Another consideration, like there's like a lot of these really good nutrients are coming in the concert of these fattier cuts of things. So like something like cod liver oil, which is like an old school supplement that people like a hundred years ago, everyone was kind of taking something like that is giving you those omega threes, but also has a lot of those beautiful fat soluble vitamins, A, D, E, K, uh, and really healthy. So they're not necessary to get the organ meats as long as you have a really good nutrient dense sources. And this is also why I am a fan if people can and are willing to is including egg yolks in the diet. The egg yolk itself is such a precious nutritional thing. It has the choline, all those fat soluble vitamins can be very health promoting. So even just doing that is, is a really good idea versus the whole I'm into fitness. I only do egg white kind of omelet thing. Right, right, right. Um, I always like to know a typical day. So can you take me through, like, for example, what you ate personally yesterday? Yeah, sounds good. I'll kind of walk you through the routine because I think it's all like holistic food is a big part of that. Okay. Um, but I think it's, it's the whole rhythm. So here's what, uh, generally speaking, um, I wake up, I rehydrate with some water. Um, and before I really get into my day, um, I have a, a prayer meditation practice. So I have a meditation chair that I sit in and have some like quiet connected time. And I'm not like visualizing. I just, it's a deep practice. And I'll, and I'll say this too, is nutritional inputs are important, right? I mean, our bodies need nutrients to thrive, but I think at an even deeper level is like, we have this nervous system that needs to be well-regulated for us to function. And I think the humans that live the longest are those that have a predominantly parasympathetic, relaxed, regulated nervous system. And we also see this modeled in nature, like the creatures that live a short period of time are stressed out, constantly looking for food, worried about being eaten. They're lower on the food chain. Like a tortoise lives for over a hundred years. It like moves slow. It's got a shell. It eats some grass. It's got a parasympathetic kind of tone. So insofar as we want to live a long time, I could give you great nutrition, but if you're a total stress ball and you don't know how to regulate your nervous system, it's tapping your lifeline as much as like basically anything. So the reason I bring up that the prayer meditation for me is being so pivotal is I do it for many, many reasons, but it also starts every day, uh, helping me become more regulated and, and being more peaceful. And I think that's important because it sets the, basically the neurochemical and endocrinological chemical signals in my body that the food interacts with. Um, after that, um, I may or may not necessarily eat, uh, right away. And I kind of now have a little more of a flexible approach depending on how hungry I am. And I'm listening to like hunger signals in my body. I'm not quite as rigid as I once was. Uh, before I eat, I will get some cold exposure. Um, and I'm like a little more on the, like the optimized side. So I'm playing around with these, these kinds of things. I have a cold plunge outside my house. I'll get in. The reason I do that is because of it raises my dopamine levels so much that it creates basically instant neurochemistry for motivation and the cold exposure can help with fat loss too. And it's good for your immune system. So I'll do that after that. I'll have breakfast. 
um, you know, after I do the cold exposure. Um, and, and by the way, caffeine, I have noticed for myself that um, I don't do well with coffee. And it absolutely breaks my heart because I, I love the taste of coffee and we have a great coffee machine, but I do a lot better with green tea with matcha or a pu'er kind of like fermented tea. And so that's a way that I like to kind of get a little bit of caffeine in, in my morning. That's a part of my life right now. So I'll have kind of like a warm drink. I've been playing around with getting some other different kinds of warm drinks, like getting some, I have some really like high quality maca powder. Um, I also have some really well, like high quality, like ceremonial grade cacao powder too. So these other things are great because you can get these kind of drinks and like super foodie things in your day that make you feel really good. Um, and I think that's important. Um, yesterday I, I shot video, so please don't ju judge me for a crazy <laughs> breakfast, but I, I had, I had three raw eggs. Uh, and a protein shake that was, had blended up with, it was just like a mix of protein. It might have a little almond milk and a thing of chlorella or spirulina powder. So it was like a really light, I didn't want to have a lot of heavy food in my system. So I just wanted to get some fats, some, some proteins. And I got it down really fast because I got really into the video shoot and what I was doing. Raw eggs, meaning you actually just didn't cook them. Yeah. Didn't actually cook them. I just put them in a thing and I used to be a competitive bodybuilder. So I guess that we kind of did that. Um, and I'll tell you, I've had like hundreds, if not thousands of raw eggs in my life and they don't like, they've never made me sick. And I think a lot of the, the bacterial contamination on the outside is, is like on the, the outer shell itself, not inside the egg. Um, so I'm not saying people should do raw eggs, but it's like, I mean, it's really efficient nutrition. <laughs> um, huh. if you want to go that way, um, <laughs> later in the day, I did have wild salmon for dinner and I had like one big meal. I had those on. Um, these kind of almond coconut flour, kind of like tortillas that I cooked up on the stovetop with a little bit of grass fed butter. I had some steamed carrots in there with a little bit of this nice, like hot sauce. And that was like, that was a really nourishing, like bigger meal. And I had one bigger meal at night and in the middle of the day before my workout, after the video shoot, I had some coconut yogurt with a giant pomegranate, which are in season right now, a pomegranate in the coconut yogurt, uh, with a little more protein. Um, and I had some dark chocolate yesterday too. I needed a little like celebration after that video shoot. So I had some 75% dark chocolate. Um, and I guess that's like kind of a typical day. Uh, I do, I do include some, um, carbohydrates in, in like grains in my diet, but I find that I'm personally quite sensitive to, um, not most wheat, honestly, but especially non-organic wheat, I wouldn't touch. Um, but I do make my own, um, einkorn wheat. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Einkorn's like the most ancient strain of wheat. We know simple genetics, very pure. I sprout einkorn wheat berries and I kind of like make my own bread cracker kind of thing. I had some of that yesterday. It's like a fermented sourdough einkorn thing that I make. And I tolerate that great. I feel wonderful when I eat that. Interesting. Very healthy. Do you ever, I mean, I know the dark chocolate was an indulgence for you, but <laughs> do you ever like have a Krispy Kreme donut or like literally just really indulge? Cause I, I mean, what I talk about, cause I mean, my dad was like a junk food junkie, smoked yeah. the day, had heart attacks throughout his life. So I was raised on like eating chocolate cake in the morning when I was with my dad. And then my mom, I, it was healthy. So I have both sides in me. Like yeah. I eat healthy food and I feel best when I'm eating whole foods, but I, yeah. I literally do crave all the, and, and I have to make conscious decisions not to go to the dark side. Yeah. And well, I think it's, it's a wonderful point. Here's what I'll say. First off, before I answer for myself personally, I think there are so many great options out there now that if you know what your pattern of indulgence is, like you're the kind of person who really likes a wonderful ice cream bar or chocolate, or you like chips, like whatever that thing is, have a really good, healthy default substitute in your house, in your pantry that fits that bill. Mm -hmm. So like we have, there's like low sugar coconut ice cream bars that like, that are like absolutely delicious and phenomenal that are in the freezer in case some of those things happen or dark chocolate or some healthier, maybe like, um, Kosova based chips that are in avocado oil, as opposed to like a corn chip that's fried in corn oil or something like that. Um, so I think that having the healthier upgraded indulgence options in your house is good. If I indulge, it's more in food than in sweets. Like mm. I'm a sucker for like a really good pizza or like a really good burger. And I, and I may have that once in a while. I've been doing this health stuff so long that I have had so many like feedback loops on this where I have free meals or cheat meals. And then I notice the biological effects afterwards. I'm inflamed. My gut is off. I'm tired. My skin could have changes that I've been hit by that stick so many times 
like I've literally changed my neuro associations where that stuff's just no longer like draws me in uh, nearly as much. But yes, I do. I do indulge. Um, but it's definitely not something that I have to fight the urge for that anymore because I've experienced so much of like <laughs> doing it and then feeling poor consequences. And I also have some good default options. So right. very rarely will I just sugar, but I do like Sour Patch Kids. It's an odd thing that I like, <laughs> but like I'll eat those on occasion, but like I don't keep them in the house. Do you ever drink alcohol? Rarely, um, but yes, like I'm not against alcohol. Um, mm -hmm. I, and if I do have alcohol, I find that the alcohol that makes me feel best is typically like a spirit based drink of some sort. Like I would go for a tequila would be like a, a tequila based drink would probably what I would go for tequila or mezcal. Um, maybe vodka or gym might be okay. Um, I don't really drink beer and I try to stay away from too sugary drinks, but I'm fine if I'm like at a party or a wedding or something like this, um, I will happily have a drink, but I don't drink a lot. Um, and it, I just know the impacts. It just doesn't help me feel as sharp. Um, and I had a lot of years where I drank a lot more. And so I kind of got that out of my system. Yep. Now, do you run the fit mother project too, or does your wife do that? We have a full team that kind of supports us. So the, across the team, there's probably like 15 of us. So like, yeah, I like, I do run it, but I also have like a lot of like female leads in the company that are really managing and running the community. But yeah, I'm still kind of like, I guess like the CEO and making some decisions and helping with a lot of the content and the training. Sure. So you, you did talk a little bit about, um, kind of normalizing your, your nervous system through your meditation. Mm -hmm. We, I do have a mental health segment <clears throat> in my podcast every, mm -hmm. every episode, because <clears throat> I do think it's so important. And, and I, I've had to really just with other stressors I've had in my life, I've had to learn to do that. I, I'm not into meditation yet, but can mm -hmm. you discuss the significance of stress management and mental health in achieving longevity? For sure. I, I think it's, well, put it this way. These systems, this idea that we have a body and a mind and that they're separate is, is a fallacy. I think we're learning so much more about how truly like our thoughts that are associated with emotions create states in the body, either a uh, relaxed, happy, and connected state, which we would define as having this parasympathetic tone high levels of serotonin and oxytocin in the brain where we feel very connected. Like that's a state. And because of that state, your immune system works in a different way. Uh, your hormones are expressing, but even more powerfully, your genes, the little blueprint of basically what makes you, you and the kind of proteins that your body builds off of this genetic blueprint dynamically change based off of the environment in your body, whether you're stressed, certain genes get expressed when you're happy, connected and feeling powerful, certain genes get expressed. So your thinking and your emotions is literally dynamically changing on a cellular level. What of your genetics are being expressed? This is the field of epigenetics. And it's really, really cool to how the body does this. There's these things called methyl groups, which is a carbon and three hydrogens. And the body literally applies these methyl tags or removes them at certain points of your genetic code. And that will change the kind of genes that are expressed. So you could be predisposed to something like some kind of genetic disease, but live a great lifestyle, be very well regulated, never express that as an actual phenotype or an experience you have, even though you have a predisposition for it. Um, or you could actually create those kind of conditions in your body to go ahead and do this. So I guess I first want to say is the mind and emotions is interplaying with how your body actually produces the actual chemicals, the proteins, and the signals. The other thing is like the stress hormone that we all hear a lot about is cortisol. It's produced in the adrenal glands, these little glands that sit on your kidneys. And its job is to help you respond and create an environment where you can respond to short-term stress. And it's very helpful, as we can imagine, for our ancient ancestors. Um, it gets our blood pressure to come up. It liberates blood glucose. So it gets glucose to come out from the muscles. It starts to break down some fat. It just gets the body in a keyed up way where there's lots of nutrients in the blood. But what it also does is cortisol squashes your immune system because there's no point in a short-term stress of worrying about long-term things like a chronic infection or fighting and detecting cancer cells or any stuff like that. Cortisol is immune suppressive. That's why we use it in autoimmune conditions to suppress the immune system. The problem is when we're low level stressed at all times, we're basically keeping our immune system in a suppressed state. And this is bad. 
because ultimately what we know, one of the things that does kill people is cancer. And we have so many things that are constantly damaging our DNA as we age. Our DNA is not as robust. Our telomeres, these caps on our, our, our chromosomes are getting smaller. Our proteins don't fold as well. And if our immune system is not working at optimal function, this is not going to be able to prevent those things. And eventually we, we get cancers and we other, get other things that naturally develop. So it's like literally the cortisol from the stress is squashing your immune system. Here's where it gets even deeper. We now know from the research that pretty much the majority of your white blood cells have one, a vitamin D3 receptor and two, a melatonin receptor. Like these are ubiquitously expressed over all your white blood cells. And so the D3 we know is important. Like we're meant to be in contact with the sun, circadian rhythm. It regulates our immune system. We saw throughout the whole COVID thing where people who had high vitamin D3 status fares way better than people who had low vitamin D3 status. It is essential for your immune system. But I think the melatonin discussion is even more interesting because Melatonin is this amazing uh, restorative nighttime neurochemical that is released when the light goes down in the environment. Uh, melatonin triggers the signals in the brain to clean itself, to get rid of some of those built up proteins, metabolic damage, plaques and stuff from just all the thinking uh, that we do. We're seeing this huge rise in Alzheimer's, dementia and cognitive decline. Melatonin is one of the things that actually prevents that. And one of the things that crushes melatonin is all the artificial light that we literally introduced into our lives over the last 100 to 150 years. Never before in the human history have we had the experience where at night you can have a device blasting non-native, non-circadian light into your eyes, crushing your melatonin production. And if you do a search on, on online, you can type in melatonin anti-aging. There's going to be a ton of new research that comes up that melatonin is one of our best longevity and anti-aging chemicals that we know of. And we're kind of destroying it through poor circadian rhythm, which truly is a stress on the body. When the body is out of sync with the normal light rhythms, it is creating stress. Blue light in its very nature, the sky is blue, is an activating spectrum of light that when we encounter it, it raises our alertness, gets our body ready to react and energize, improves reaction time, uh, working memory and all that. But at night, we want the exact opposite chemistry. So what I'm trying to tell you is truly this whole lifestyle that we have today, modern-wise, is interplaying with this concept of stress. It's aging us faster. It's the light. It's the low vitamin D. It's the inflammatory foods. It's the high relationship to certain things to stress us out that, that raise our cortisol, change our DNA. So it's deep. It's basically everything I would say is like, I would rather feed someone a B level diet and have them be massively stress regulated, than give them an A level diet. That's just on point, but make them super, super stressed. It's just, it would be worse. Now, so with the importance of melatonin, should people be supplementing with it, do you think? It's interesting. So your melatonin levels decline naturally with age. Mm -hmm. um, I did have the opportunity yesterday to interview like one of the foremost longevity experts, Dr. Jeffrey Gladden. He is in his 70s. He takes melatonin every day and he sees no problem from the research of, 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 of taking it. My personal take is first and foremost, you need to like learn how to protect your own melatonin because your brain makes it. It just makes it as long as you're not messing it up with aberrant light at night. And like to be a real stickler is like when the sun goes down, you should be changing the lights in your environment to using more lamps, less overheads. If you have screens or TVs that you watch, they need to have filters on them to cut out that blue light. Maybe you're wearing glasses for blue light. Like I just, we're not fully appreciating and this will be mainstay knowledge in the next hundred years, how much of a signal light is. So first off, protect yourself from your light. And if you have not set, put the night shift mode on your phone or your iPhone, that makes it like the orange color and have that on at night. That's the number one thing to do from this. Um, but melatonin supplementation is interesting. I think like you can take it. There seems to be research that I've seen up to, it can be taken up to seven years. Fine. It's not one of those hormones that you take externally where you stop producing it on your own. And I think everyone needs to experiment with the dosage that works for well for them. And there's a lot of research in women who want to lose weight that melatonin is actually helpful in conjunction with diet and exercise. And anytime you were ever sick, any kind of sickness, having melatonin supplements and taking those during that time is massively helpful for the immune system. So what I personally do is I have a variety of dosages of melatonin supplements on my nightstand. I don't take them every night, but if I feel like I've been stressed, a little overworked or want a little extra sleep, I will take it. So I consider it a tool, but a tool that I use pretty frequently. Okay, great. Yeah, that's interesting. That's actually good to know because I, I used to take melatonin. I've always had trouble sleeping. I have 
major anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I was at one time prescribed trazodone mm-hmm. when I was going through a really difficult time in my life. I ended up getting off trazodone using medical cannabis. So I do use mm-hmm. cannabis at night to sleep. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on using something holistic like cannabis for sleeping or for anxiety or anything like that? First off, I mean, it works. It certainly works for both those things. So, you know, I think it's always like, there's always things that are potent, like cannabis have effects. Um, I would say this before I get into the cannabis thing, cause I do have exact a take on that. Um, something that may work well for you specifically is pairing melatonin with a, an amino acid called L-theanine. It's the amino acid found in green tea. I don't know if you played around with that, but 200 to 300 milligrams of L-theanine is amazing and research proven for shifting the brain from the active beta anxious state into slower states like alpha. And then eventually if you have some kind of relaxation practice, theta and getting lower. So L-theanine, um, magnesium L-threonate is a kind of magnesium that crosses the blood brain barrier, helps the brain kind of relax. And a lot of people stack this with a compound called apigenin, A-P-I-G-E-N-I-N. I don't have a lot of like uh, direct experience with that, but the whole like magnesium, uh, L-theanine, melatonin, apigenin is like a powerful evening sleep stack. Um, I use some essential oils at night. Um, so I have like a combination of a la- lavender cam- chamomile essential oil, which might be modestly helpful. It's maybe more about the ritual itself than it is about, you know, what it does. Cannabis works, right? For both the THC and CBD effects. Um, it can relax the system. It can help people sleep. Um, I, I am pretty convinced that like long-term cannabis use is not without cost. I think you are getting some cost to uh, the downregulation of the some of the neurons in your hippocampus, areas associated with memory. Um, and cannabis and high levels of THC on a, on a long-term basis um, actually does damage your epithelium. So these are the, the, the intimate, the, the important layers of your blood vessels that produce nitric oxide. It can damage your nitric oxide system, which is pretty far reaching and important for the purposes of circulation. Now, obviously if you're exercising, you're eating well, you're getting good precursors for nitric oxide. Like some of that stuff can be offset. Um, but there is a nitric oxide damaging effect and, and, and certainly, you know, maybe some, some memory effects of doing heavy cannabis for a long time. But honestly, if it's helping you sleep though, it's probably more net beneficial than it would be a cost. But I would say if you could find a way to get to sleep and relax without having that be your solution, Mm. um, that could be good. And if maybe the THC tends to be the thing that actually damages, uh, mostly the brain area and the, uh, the, the endothelial lining for the nitric oxide, if you could just go with a CBD, CBG or CBN, and you find that some of the cannabidiol cannabidiol derivatives, um, work for you without the THC, that could be good. I do like the THC though. (laughs) Of course. That's the fun part. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's, I I do like all the minor cannabinoids and I did invest in a medical grade flower vaporizer just so that I'm not getting the toxins and the heavy metals from, yeah, some of the concentrates, but it's, it's good to know that you're educated on this. Um, I just want to, I just, because I'm curious, I used to be in the fitness industry. I I have a lot of friends that used to be bodybuilders. Mm -hmm. What's your take on, um, kind of the, you know, bodybuilding is so intense, right? And, and there, there, there are some bodybuilders that kind of develop disordered eating behaviors because of the the strictness that they have to have with dieting and getting down to a certain weight. Mm-hmm. So how was your experience with bodybuilding? Was it a good experience? Do you, did you see those ex- like extreme behaviors and, you know, what are your kind of thoughts on that world? For sure. I mean, I was in that world as a competitive bodybuilder, um, for almost 15 years. Um, so I did a lot of different shows, preps, a lot of my friends were into it. So I can, I can definitely speak on this. Um, I think that it's something that starts out healthy, um, or could start out healthy with a lot of returns and rewards in terms of one, you're going to get into the best looking physical shape of your life because you're so dedicated and in sync with your training with all this, like doing the contest prep, getting to the lean body fat, training your butt off for a period of months is a inherently rewarding experience to take yourself and push yourself to that level. Um, I think there's diminishing returns the further you go, because as you push your body and you get to higher levels, like the amount of incremental gains that you make for increasing effort just starts to become like a bad trade-off. Like uh, to, especially if you're a competitive bodybuilder to become, you know, you might have to train <laughs> to the next level of hardness intensity, sacrifice so much of your life to get 5% better. 
Mm. Like that's a huge sacrifice that you end up doing. Yeah. Second, I think people get into these physical fitness stuff and I'll speak directly from my own experience for many reasons, but one is through a degree of, of pain and insecurity. I know for me, like I got into the idea of building myself up to be really fit and strong and look a certain way. It was a kind of like a, partly a trauma response to my dad's death. And then it kind of built up into this whole like ego that I was developing at the time to like be this jacked bodybuilder, strongest guy in the room kind of thing. And like that served me to a point until it didn't. And I had a number of life experiences that revealed to me that like, I am not my body and my self-worth is not like what I look like in these things. Um, but it was powerful to be able to like get so attached to that, to then have the experience of learning how to release that. So I think there's a psychology that goes along with the lifestyle of dedicating everything to maximize this one dimension of your being, which is your body. I'm not saying it's not important, but like, let's be honest, like you end up making your body the worship and the focus of your life when you are doing competitive bodybuilding. It's all designed to tailor, to maximize the way you look. And the question, the deeper question is why? Mm -hmm. And, you know, many people have different responses and we're all kind of like flowing through our life experience. But for me, I realized that there was some hurt psychology on the back of that. Um, and I'm glad I did it. I, I wouldn't trade it for, you know, anything. I learned so much. I became a better person. Um, but I no longer resonate with that, at least in where I'm heading next. Okay, great. Yeah. And, and I do what you said when you started, uh, the episode, I think it's strength training really is so important. And I think a lot of people are so focused on cardio and burning calories, especially, sure. especially women, but mm -hmm. the, the interesting thing is, is my, my boyfriend is, very kind of of that mindset too. Like I can't, hmm. and he doesn't really understand the importance of lifting weights. I was going to hire him a trainer. I would yeah. imagine that you work with men and women that have never lifted weights in their lives. Maybe yeah. they've just done cardio. How do you get them into a program where they're lifting so they don't injure themselves? Like, how do you, how do you get that started with them? For sure. Um, the way we introduce them to the combination it, uh, of like cardio and strength and all that is through a particular kind of exercise, which is a lot like circuit training. We call it metabolic resistance training. And so we basically make the argument, Hey, look, like whatever age you're at today, you're 50. And when you're 80, you're going to want to be strong at the prime core movements that your body does squatting down with your knees, pushing things overhead, like shoulder presses, pulling things down towards your body like rows, swinging and hinging your hips, which are deadlifts and swings, and then pushing and pulling things away from your body, which is like pressing. So we have these planes of motion. If you just like move your arms in space right now, you can imagine which ways can my body move? Well, we need to be able to load and have resistance with these fun, fun foundational ranges of motion. And we want to get the strength training, which means we need to be using some resistance as we do these motions. But we also want to get cardio because it is beneficial to get the circulation moving for heart health, for, you know, calorie burning is a, is a part of the picture. And so what we do is we string together strength and cardio into these circuits where it might look like you're doing swings immediately into squats, immediately into shoulder presses, immediately into rows, and then into some pushups. And it becomes a fast-paced, fun, challenging 30 to 45 minute workout where you're getting the benefits of all of this, the mobility, strength, and cardio all in one. And so for someone who's starting from like scratch, it's a lot easier to get them to do these kind of circuit workouts where they're practicing these foundational motions, getting strength and cardio than being like, here's your paper today. You're hitting shoulders and tries. You're doing four sets of this. Then you're hitting this machine and then the cable lateral raise. And don't forget to drink your BCAAs in between the sets. <laughs> like that's like, one, it's not strictly as effective for people as, as actually getting these more dense work, but two, it's, it's just like a lot less intimidating. And what we help people do is first, like reach their goal level of like body fat. Like most people who want to get fit, they do need to build muscle, but like losing the fat is like the first key because your body actually builds muscle in an easier state. Once you're a little lean, you're more insulin sensitive, you know, just good things happen. So using these kind of like hybrid MRT workouts are a really wonderful way to start. And then we can move people on to like classic strength training, which is like do a heavy set rest, do a heavy set rest. Like that's beneficial very specifically, but the way we do it is through these cardio circuit workouts. I love that. That's great information. Um, so there's a lot of wellness programs out there. How does yours really set itself apart from all other programs that are targeted for people that are 40 plus? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing the number of options that people do have now. And I, and I, here's the thing, like, I think that probably most programs are good. 
like, you know, at least if they've been around for a while and they have an amazing track record, like one thing I'll say is like the track record of our, our program results, like at least online, we have the most successful transformations of people over 40 of any program online. So like track record is, I guess, is, is an important aspect. Um, and two, it just needs to fit. Like if it needs to fit you on the deepest level and the most complete level that it can. So if you have someone you find a program with and you really resonate with them as a person, you feel like you have greater levels of a connection with them and you can really get plugged in and, and, and it helps you feel connected, then you're going to stick with that one long-term. It's like what you're going to stick with. So for example, if there's someone who listens to this and like, I absolutely do not want to do any of these strength training circuit workouts, but I absolutely love working on uh, my spin bike or my Peloton, then building around that is going to be the key for you being successful long-term. Now, in terms of our programming, what actually I think makes it very unique is obviously all the workouts are joint friendly, time efficient, built for busy parents over 40. Um, the nutrition plan is insanely sustainable. And this is something I consider myself like an absolute expert in is designing meal plans that are not only like nutritious and like science-based, but like really practical and they work for people long-term. So that's the element. But maybe it's the fact that we have this community. So when you join Fit Father or Fit Mother, you're surrounded by tens of thousands of other people who are going through the same program. There's an amazing sense of camaraderie. Like everything is so cohesive and connected. And we actually help have the conversation of health beyond just like fitness. Like we realize that fitness is not just about your habits on nutrition, movement, sleep, et cetera. It's about your core values. It's about how your fitness integrates with your work, with how you want to show up as a parent, uh, you know, staying aligned and motivated. It's like this holistic approach, whole person. We have these body vehicles. We need to tend to them in the best way, but it's like a whole person approach. So it's a combination of those factors. I think the results, the the programming, and certainly the community that makes us very good. Well, I love what you're doing. I I don't have children myself, but I always say, I, I mean, first of all, I commend parents for the hard work it is to raise children because it seems like a very difficult job. So I, I give parents a lot of credit, but I also think it is so important for, and again, I say this without having children. So hopefully I'm not making anyone mad out there, but I do think it's important for parents to be good examples. You know, I wish my dad- 100%. Taken some, had some balance in his life, had just walked a little bit or eaten, you know, some vegetables or, you know, stopped smoking two packs a day, you know, just some kind of balance. I think his life would have just been so much longer. So, mm -hmm. um, are there any other points you want to share before we end this great discussion? Yeah, uh, two things. One, I'd like to comment on the kids. And then two, I'd like to comment on like the, the trappings of our, our, of our modern culture and what people need to realize. First on the kids front, like, I think it's more important than people realize to obviously model the healthy behaviors for their kids as parents. And I'm speaking as a parent, but also to recognize the, the serious harm that it does to your kid. If they are overweight, addicted to technology, eating poor foods, like as parents, we want our kids to become the best that they can be and to have a happy and joyful life with them. And the inputs that your kid is getting from the nutritional input which is like the nutrients or lack thereof, what their blood sugar is doing. If they're gaining weight, that's the kind of, they're actually growing fat cells and proliferating fat cells up to like the time they hit puberty. Those are really the storage containers they're going to be working with for the rest of their lives. Uh, the attention and the mood and the neurochemistry is completely tied to the foods they're eating and the nutrients they're getting. We have an epidemic rise of like depression, ADHD, all these kinds of things in kids. And it is tied certainly to technology, but also to the foods we're eating. So if you want your kids to be the most expressed and, and healthy versions of themselves, like they need to get the best inputs that they can. And, and food is the one thing that your kids cannot control. They're getting this passed down through your family culture. So, you know, unless you have a motivated kid like me that wants to like make his own lunch, like you're probably making the decisions for your kids and they're just following your step. And, and it's more important than ever because even with their IQ and their expression of their intelligence, like it's going to be improved by getting good nutrition, getting the right nutrients in. So that's, that's important. And it kind of segues me to like my, my second point in my final point is that our health right now is a, is a symptom of our culture. There's, there's no mistake that like 70% of people are overweight and obese, like probably not too many of the people listening to this because you're actively investing in your health. But like, if we look around, why is that? It's because it is so easy to get to that state in today's age where there is, you know, obviously all the crap food that we've talked about, 
There is more laziness in, in disconnection with daily movement. Like we're not doing what our ancestors did even a couple hundred years ago where you had a garden and you were walking and you had to ride a bike to get somewhere. Everything is convenience. So we become lazy. Part of that is because we have these technology devices that are instantly dumping neurochemistry, like hits of dopamine, hits of this, hits of that, that are like training us to be more distracted, more dependent, and less, dis less connected than we ever have been to nature, to getting outside, to circadian rhythm. That is a huge, huge problem. We have a medical system right now that is kind of like got so jacked up where, you know, I'm speaking, I guess is a, is a, is a very biased naturopath, but like we have, we're, we're pushing a pill for every single thing, particularly these chronic diseases that can only ultimately be fixed by the intervention of healthy living and healthy lifestyle. Like there's not magic pill that's going to prevent you from getting heart disease, but exercising and eating right certainly will. Same thing with depression. Like we're just so disconnected that depression is high. So we need to like take some responsibility as, as individuals to then shift the culture to break free of like a sick independent system that's not focusing on the right things. Um, and so I'm obviously passionate about this stuff. And I just think that like to be healthy in today's day and age, there are more options and tools than ever before, but it does require moving yourself and your family like upstream against the current that is pushing people to becoming, you know, less healthy. And, um, and, and I, obviously we all want to be the best version of ourselves on some level. So that's my final point. Sure. No, I, those are great points. Yeah, it is. It ties into a recent episode I did because we just live in this culture that it is, it is really hard to, you know, stay on the path of, of good choices because we're just, we are inundated with, with all the, the not so healthy ones. So well, great. Well, thank you so much for this discussion. This was really interesting. You provided really great science-based information to our listeners. I know they're going to very much appreciate that. Can you tell everyone where they can find you? I, I did, I did want to sign up for your newsletter. Where can I get your newsletter? Where can I sign up for that? You can find it on the website. So fitfatherproject.com and fitmotherproject.com. Um, if you get any of our, we have free meal plans and workouts like on the websites. If you get those, you automatically get subscribed to our newsletter. And I'll say this is like, what we basically do is help every busy parent over 40. And yes, we have some people in our program who are not parents. So, you know, don't let that deter you. We help you develop your system, your system for nutrition, exercise, accountability, support that like keeps you on track. And so if this conversation inspired you in any way, shape or form, and you want some help, go to our websites at the very least, get our free meal plans and workouts. Um, we are also offering trials to our like full program that comes with like a mobile app, all the recipes, access to me and my coaches, the whole shebang. So that can be found fit father project or fit mother project. And if you like content and like longer form discussions and videos, our YouTube channels are amazing resources. We have hundreds of videos on fit father, YouTube and fit mother, YouTube. You can check that out as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure to meet you and talk to you. Hopefully I can have you back someday if you're ever wanting to talk about any yeah. other important topics. Um, there's lots of them to discuss. So for sure. thank you so much for your time. And it was a pleasure meeting you. Thanks, Veronica. You have a great day.